A new variant emerges out of Afghanistan. It is ISIS-K. Yes, we have new variants of terrorist groups now. Well, Biden, in to combat this new variant, he issues a mask mandate. No, not really, but uh, <laughs> I bet the CDC would. Uh, but the real question is, with such a great fall, can America put itself together again? Can all the king's horses and all the king's men finally put America back together again? Or are we witnessing the beginning of the end of America's global dominance as we have known it? Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 253, it is late, late in the evening of August 29th, 2021, coming to you from the Middle East. Well, the question is, is this the end? Is this the end of American dominance as we know it? Is this the the moment and I feel like it is for many people. There, the sense as an American, at least, as I've witnessed this debacle, as I've, I've witnessed the, the horrible scenes, I've heard the stories, uh, seen the footage we, we all have, it is, it is shocking and disturbing to think that America would just abandon its people it would, it would abandon its citizens, would abandon its allies in such a, a way that seems like a deep betrayal to put so many lives at risk. Now, of course, the, the administration's stance is we will get every American out, but maybe right now there are thousands of people still stranded. I know that there are ex-military groups who are, are going in and creating their own extraction teams to try to get... American citizens out of the country. It is just uh, incredible, incredible to watch the, the heroism of people working tirelessly to save other people's lives. And it's also incredible to see how this was so avoidable, so avoidable. And I wonder, I wonder if this will be a moment that we all look back on years from now and say, this was, this was the decisive moment. This is when the pendulum really did swing away from America into other powers in the world. Not, not only geopolitically could this be a, a massive windfall for, for other nations like China and Russia, but even in the, the trust that its allies would have in America. In, in, in the trust, the respect, the regard for America as a whole because of the, the catastrophe that it has, is brought upon itself. Uh, right now in culture, it seems as if everything is moving so fast, whether it's from the woke ideologies that are spreading across the world to the crazy sorts of lockdowns that we're seeing especially in places uh, like Australia or New Zealand, where it's just so over the top, you know, one case and the entire nation locks down. When we see the, the division of the political realm and the infighting and the lack of 
any resemblance of unity many times, it seems. You have to wonder, is, is this going to return to normal? When is it going to return to normal? And I fear, I fear the answer is there is no going back. There is no putting this all back together again. There is no making this right again. There is no returning to the, the good old days as they have been. We live in, in a very different world. Globalization from the information, from the internet, world travel, world connectedness, it has changed the landscape of the world as we've known it. And in the last decade, an acceler- there's been an acceleration in America and in global culture pushing some of these ideologies, pushing this, this woke ideology, pushing uh, things that are so destructive to humanity, things that are destructive to families, ideas and beliefs that are antithetical to, to classical liberalism. And we're seeing a massive push towards authoritarianism across the globe. And it might feel like things are moving really fast right now, but we are only going to be accelerating from this point on. There is an acceleration that is happening in global events across the world. We are really in the middle of an epoch swing. An epoch is times and seasons. We are in the middle of witnessing an epoch swing. And I believe this this fiasco, this debacle is going to be such a stain on America with it being so divided as it already is. I wonder, can it remain? Will it remain as a, a world power that it is? Of course, it will probably in some semblance remain that just as the UK is still a world power, but it's no longer the world power. It's no longer the dominant power. Will America continue to slip from this? I believe, I do believe so. Well, got a lot of clips for you today. Uh, the, the U.S., the, the White House on their YouTube video has this great, this great little clip from uh, John Finer, who is President Biden's principal deputy national security advisor. And they have this like front and center on the, the website, on the YouTube page, which I find just to be hilarious and ironic. Here's clip one. Our most important job right now is to provide security and stability at the international airport in Kabul. That mission was accomplished in large part because we planned for it. President Biden ordered the pre-positioning of U.S. forces in the region and deployed those forces in recent days to ensure that security and stability could be brought to the airport. Wait, secure, so wait, they're saying, they're saying that security and stability was brought to the airport. Yes, those first few days, if you remember, they were, I mean, the scenes that we saw of thousands of people chasing planes, uh, people falling, out of the sky, young kids, you know, those are minors, you know, minors that, that grabbed onto these airplanes. The, the scenes that we saw, absolutely horrific. I'm sure we won't be able to get those out of our memory. And I pray that we actually don't. I pray that we, we remember 
this moment so that we don't repeat it. But so maybe the, the inside of the airport was secure, but the outside was definitely not stable. The outside, there were, there were riots. There were riots and people died. Kids were trampled in these riots outside of the airport. So maybe on the inside, you can make the argument, well, the, the airport itself became a stable and secure place on the inside. But on the outside, there is no such thing as stability. There's no such thing as security. We even, I mean, we saw the bombing by, by ISIS-K. That took 180 civilian lives plus the 13 American soldiers that gave their lives in that attack. That, is, that does not spell out to me security or stability, which that's why I find this, this clip so ironic, saying we've, we achieved it. We achieved the stability and the security. Mm, man, I don't think so. It doesn't seem like it. The, the, my sources on the ground, they say that it was around the airport. It was hell. It was like they were walking through hell itself. This clip goes on. A safe and secure airport is important because our most important mission right now is providing safe and secure flights out of Afghanistan for Americans and Afghans in need. Yes, that is why a safe airport is important. That's why we need a safe airport. But the question remains, was it really safe? It was not safe. It was not secured. Where, where that breakdown happened, we can probably point fingers a million different ways, but it goes back to the original, the original thing that everyone has been arguing, not just here on this show. Everyone's been saying, okay, great. We, we agree that we should probably pull out of Afghanistan. Yes, we should do that. But that does not mean doing it the way that we did. It does not mean giving up the most defendable air base that we had in the country that could facilitate these evacuations, that could, was defendable. Well, uh, what is ISIS-K? ISIS-K carried out this attack between 170, 180 Afghans lost their lives, women, children. The scenes, I'm sure you have seen them, are absolutely horrific. I, I, refuse, I refuse to play them. Uh, and I understand why I understand why people do show them, and I do think they're we should see and understand the horrors that are happening there. But I, I can't bring myself to to share them even publicly online. It's just the I hate the exaltation of or, or the sharing something to almost draw attention to yourself. There's so much of this sharing and this hype and this shock and awe factors that, that drives the 24-hour media news cycle that drives clicks and views and shares and people gasping around the world saying, that's oh my goodness, that's so horrible. And it feels like that it's a capitalizing of these people's lives. And, and that's something that I just refuse to participate in. But ISIS-K. 
responsible for this bombing at the airport, and they're a long-sworn enemy of both the United States and the Taliban. This is coming from the LA Times. So it's known as Daesh K or ISIS K. They have go by a couple of different uh, different acronyms, and they're a local affiliate of the Islamic State, which is a jihadist group that once ruled large areas in Syria and Iraq. Well, ISIS-K spun off, and the K stands for Khorasan, which is the historical region uh, in current-day Iran, Afghanistan, and neighboring parts of Southwest Asia and Pakistan. This group emerged in 2014. This is according to the LA Times. And the Islamic State was, as the Islamic State was coming, a brand name in terrorism. They never really had much power or, or control in Afghanistan, but they specialized in suicide bombings, ambushes, and other guerrilla-style assaults. Both the Taliban and ISIS-K are hardline Sunni Muslims, which means you would think that they would align, but ISIS-K really does not like the Taliban because, in their view, the Taliban sold out when they began to, to try to cut deals with America. As they and as the Taliban specifically is looking just to expel the foreign invaders from their land, that that would be the occupiers, that would be NATO forces in America. Whereas ISIS K, they want to, they, they are dedicated to global global terrorism. They're dedicated to global jihad, to international attacks, including on the West. And so those are are some of the differences. ISIS-K is said to also have spun out of al-Qaeda and also as the Taliban really worked to find its footing on the world stage to be more palatable to others, many people left and said, you know what, we, we want something else. We want a, a more radical shade of, of terrorism. And so that's what they did. Well, ISIS-K as I said, hundreds killed. You've seen, you've seen the imagery, but what you might have not heard is that allegations are coming out that very well, it seems like they're, they're true. Many people are saying it, but allegations that many of the people who died in that bombing did not die from the suicide bomb itself, but died from fire, friendly fire from the NATO troops on top of the walls after the explosion in the midst of the chaos that, that gunshots came from the, the, whether it's NATO, U.S., there's allegations of Turkish military there as well. We don't know exactly, but that people were shot in the aftermath by the NATO forces. Here is a, a chilling interview from the BBC. Somehow I, I saw the American soldier and, 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 and beside this there were Turkish soldiers. So the, the fire come from the bridges, like the towers. From the soldiers? Yeah, from the soldiers. But he was saying he was there. He, earlier in the interview, he was saying that he was there. He lost his, his brother and some young children. And what this gentleman is saying is that they saw fire 
gunfire coming from the bridges, from the, you've seen those barbed wire fences and, and that kids are being passed over, that there are people up on those posts, that there is gunfire shooting into the crowd in the chaos, in the confusion, where apparently these, these soldiers, if this is true, felt like they were still under attack, did not know if there still remained a threat in the crowd. And so in the chaos, many people uh, allegedly, I, this has not been proven, but I suspect it is likely to tragically and very sadly be true that many people lost their lives, lives in the, the aftermath that followed. Here's another clip from that same interview with the BBC, another man saying the same thing. The guy has served U.S. Army for years, and the reason he lost his life. He wasn't killed by Taliban, he wasn't killed by ISIS. U.S. Army started shelling. How can you be sure? Because of the bullet. The bullet went inside of, the, of his head, next to the, right here, near to his ear. He didn't, he didn't have, he doesn't have any injury. These are Noor Muhammad's eight children. He had hoped to give them a better life. Instead, this afternoon, they said a final goodbye. War is sad, tragic, ugly. And it is just, it's just so horrific to think that dozens, some say even, even more, lost their lives due to friendly fire in the aftermath. It, it makes me sick to my stomach to, to think of the thousands of people who are so desperate, so desperate to leave that they'd put themselves at that gate, even in spite of having warning after warning that a bombing was coming. And even the next day, hundreds of people, hundreds of people back at that same location, desperate to get out of the country. Well, President Biden gave a speech after this bombing uh, talking about the fallen. And uh, we'll, we'll play this. We have a couple clips from Biden, but we'll play, play this first clip uh, where he's honoring the fallen men and also uh, honoring those who, civilians who lost their lives. Here's President Joe Biden. As assessed, uh, has undertaken <clears throat> an attack by a group known as ISIS-K, <clears throat> took the lives of American service members, standing guard at the airport, and wounded several others seriously. He had also wounded a number of civilians, and civilians were killed as well. Hero. I, just pausing that right there. That mumbling and some, some civilians were killed as well. I'm a little, a little upset. I understand, I understand that th there is a difference, that these, these men and women, they put their lives at risk to save many. And I, I am so grateful, what I'm about to say, I, I'm so grateful for the U.S. military. I'm so grateful for our troops that they fight and they protect our freedom. I love the U.S. military. I'm so grateful for them. And they, they, are, they are heroes who, who were fighting to clean up this administration's mess. 
And I'm grateful, so grateful for their sacrifice, for going in and, and fighting to save, to save people who have no hope, who are fighting to get out and extract friends of friends of mine who are stuck there. So I am I'm eternally grateful. At the same time, I get a little frustrated by the press where the headlines across America were, were only about the, the 13 service members, men and women fighting to protect not only our nation, but to save thousands of people, over 100,000 people out of Afghanistan. But no headline was mentioning the 170 or 180 Afghans who died, at least not in the pictures that I saw. Maybe, maybe there was a headline somewhere. This, this clip goes on by Joe Biden. Those who have been engaged in a dangerous, selfless mission to save the lives of others. It's true. It's true. They're a part of an airlift, an evacuation effort unlike any scene in history. Here. With more than 100,000 American citizens here comes the push. American partners, Afghans who helped us, and others taken to safety in the last 11 days. Just in the last 12 hours or so, another 7,000 have gotten out. <laughs> and there it is. It seemed like most of the speech was about, hey, look, we're doing a good job. The administration didn't screw up. This isn't, the, this isn't a total debacle. He, and I understand why from from a place he's trying to encourage that this is going well. We have gotten 100,000 people out. We're still going. We're, we're, we're committed to this task. But it is such a mess. And I, I came away from this speech feeling like the speech was more, was more about what's happening with the airlifts than about the fallen men and women that died fighting for America and died fighting to save these Afghan, Afghan people who are desperate to get out. 20, 30 seconds more of this clip. They were part of the bravest, most capable, the most selfless military on the face of the earth. And they're part of simply what I call the backbone of America. They're the spine of America, the best the country has to offer. Jill and I, our hearts ache, like I'm sure all of you do as well, for all those Afghan families who lost loved ones, including small children, or been wounded in this vicious attack. And we're outraged as well as heartbroken. That was more or less all that President Joe Biden had to say about those fallen, most of the rest of the speech was continuing on about their intelligence and how they're still moving forward with the evacuation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, to me, it felt, it felt very shallow. And I was, I guess I wouldn't say I was disappointed because I probably wasn't expecting a lot either. Or anyways, well, President, former President Donald Trump, he punches back in all, as well as similarly, similar uh, a political strategy. Both, both of these guys are just, just laying on the politics, 
fighting back and forth. Biden is trying to make the politics all about, actually, we're doing a successful job. This is the success. Look how successful we are in the midst of the greatest debacle that we have, we have seen in decades. And well, here's President Biden or President, former President Trump, never missing a moment. In addition, our hearts are with the families of all the innocent civilians who died and with the many men, women, and children who were terribly injured in this act of evil. This tragedy should never have taken place. It should never have happened. And it would not have happened if I were your president. <laughs> uh, and I, I definitely love that a little better. I definitely loved, <laughs> again, Biden is trying to dig himself out of a hole saying, no, we're doing the right thing. We're doing this right. Look how successful. This is the most sophisticated airlift in the history of airlifts. And no one else could be able to do it except America. Only America has this sort of capabilities. And okay, yes. And at the same time, former President Trump is saying, hey, by the way, only America has the capabilities to screw this up so bad. If... <laughs> If I was in there, I would not have done what you have done. And we wouldn't even have this group. We wouldn't even have to have this massive airlift and seen hundreds die in the ensuing chaos. Well, Biden is, vows, Biden, Biden vows to, to hunt people down wherever they are. Also in Biden's speech, here, here it is. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this, we will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. I will defend our interests and our people with every measure at my command. This I found so, I just found this so deeply ironic. Because it sounds to me like forever war. It sounds to me like, okay, well, we're going to, wherever these guys are, we're going to hunt you down wherever you are. Do you know where they are, Mr. Uh, Mr. President Joe Biden? Where are they? They are in Afghanistan. That's where they are. When, when we precariously pulled out and, and the Taliban went through and freed hundreds of prisoners from the jails, many who were Al-Qaeda or ISIS members of ISIS-K, what do you think is going to happen? Where do you think they're going to congregate? Where do you think they are? Oh, the place that you just pulled out, and now you're saying, we're going we're gonna to find them. Now they're talking about the over-the-horizon capabilities, which many people are wondering where you're going to find those over-the-horizon capabilities since you, you can't have an airbase in Pakistan or Iran or Afghanistan or the surrounding nations. So you're, you're stuck to, I guess, somewhere down in, in the Gulf. But you're just going back, you're just going back in and, and trying to put out a problem that you just created, to stamp out a problem that you, you had just created. Well, there were two drone strikes over the last number of days, one killing uh, two members who they believe coordinated these at uh, this this attack and there were this is actually quite spe spectacular there was another attack that was planned
to take place just today. Uh, and so there was a drone strike just a little ways from the airport striking a car that already had a suicide bomber in it. The reports are in right now that seven people died in this uh, this drone strike, including one innocent child. Uh, tragic. Heartbreaking. At the same time, these men were on their way to carry out another horrific attack that would have killed dozens, if not hundreds again, as people are still crowded at the gates fighting to get out on some of the last flights as within, by, by midnight on the 31st, America is out of there. And they're already, they're already slowing down their flights and they're already beginning to pull out troops from Afghanistan. Well, the, the original clip that we, we started with today from John Finer, who again is the President Biden's principal deputy director, security advisor. He shows up again on this clip talking about another grave concern that the Biden administration in America has when it comes to Afghanistan, and that is women and women's rights. Here is John Finer. The United States is deeply concerned about the plight of women and girls in Afghanistan. We will use every tool at our disposal, political, economic, diplomatic tools, in order to sustain the gains that women and girls have made over the last two decades. I don't know if the White House has gotten the memo, but they have already lost the gains that they have made in the last two decades. And how on earth are you going to use, how, how on earth are you going to use these tools? He says, we'll we use every tool at our every disposal. Every tool at our disposal. Political, economic, diplomatic tool. Political, economic, and diplomatic. Sadly, they failed to use common sense tools in pulling out their military, which then caused them to lose 20 years of gain. Here is, here is the stories from Harat, which is the third largest city in Afghanistan, the stories of what is now actually happening, the gains that have now instantly been erased. How are you going to preserve those? It's impossible. They are gone. I hear different stories from Taliban that they uh, use violence against civilians. Near to our house, I heard that a number of Taliban, they have cut the hands of two people that they have uh, spoiled something. This is from women the BBC. Women are not allowed to go to work. For example, if a woman wants to go out, she should have a man with himself. Also, women, they have to have a burqa, and they have to hide their uh, face from that people should not see. They say that uh, men should not uh, wear jeans and t-shirt. They, they have to wear Afghan dress. They continue their searching door to door for people. In spite of general amnesty announced by the group, this really worried many people, including me. They're going door to door. Women have already lost their rights. People are already getting their hands cut off. These are the, re the reports from the ground, from the BBC. The rights, the women's rights have already been lost. The situation 
and I've said this before, but the situation in Afghanistan, the crisis is not what's happening at the airport. That's just where the most of the journalists are. That's what you can see. That's where all the action's happening, where we can all ooh and ah about how horrible it is. But the real crisis is beginning and is, is only in the beginning across Afghanistan, where the winter is coming, where the, the Taliban have taken all the money out of the banks. There's no money in the banks to be had. They've limited the withdrawals from personal accounts to $200 per week. Food prices are two, three times up. The, the exchange rate is plummeted. There's no liquidity. There's no cash to be found. People are running for every border. People are running to get across into Iran. Some reports are that thousands of people are showing up at the Iranian border every day trying to escape. It, the gains, the gains have been lost, which is why that clip is just so ironic. We're going we're gonna to do everything to preserve the gains. They're already gone. They were gone in less than a week. They're gone. Here's this, this clip by the BBC goes on. People are fearful for the future and for the country's economy. People are selling their appliances. They have been taking their fridges and TVs, rugs and dishes, and selling them off. They're selling their things and using the money to get away. Some are wanting to get to Iran, some to Europe and the West if they can. People are worried. They think that the situation will get worse. And the situation is going to get worse. What happens when the entire the economy is already collapsing? But what happens when these problems become exacerbated? And, and the Taliban starts to make good on their going door to door. There's one report I read uh, of, of an interview with some Talibs. And they were saying, yeah, we, we've been ordered right now to not take out any revenge, but we are extremely, like, we hate anyone who collaborated with the U.S. government. And there are many different factions and tribal groups across Afghanistan. And if we expect that they're all going to follow lockstep in with the Taliban and they're not going to split off and take their revenge that they need to take in order to preserve the honor of their family and of their tribe, we are sorely mistaken. This, this crisis is not going to end on the 31st when America pulls out, it is not going to end when every person who wants to get out through that airport is able to get out. It is only the beginning. People are saying that the refugee crisis that we will see from this ripple effects from this event alone is going to put to make every other crisis we've seen in the past look small. The genocide that we will likely see coming from this is going to put everything else, it is going to pale in comparison, the famines that we're likely to see from this there in Afghanistan as aid has already been cut off. Here, here's a clip by WION, The World is One News. Great clip here. There is a very acute financial crunch that has got added to their troubles. Since the Taliban has taken charge of Afghanistan, all government offices, banks, colleges and schools remain shut. This means that a lot of government employees haven't been able to receive their monthly salary.
Daily life has also become much more difficult for them, with the Afghan currency having plummeted sharply. And many banks also remain shut. Now, this has resulted in a massive hike in terms of food prices. Food production and supplies have also been disrupted due to the hostilities and dozens of protesters have been marching near the main office of the new Kabul bank, detesting the cash crunch. It is only, it is only beginning for, for people in Afghanistan. And I know even here on the show, within the coming weeks, probably even by the middle of next week, there's going to be, we're going to be back to other things that are happening in the world. That this is going to slowly fade from the headlines. It's going to slowly fade from our memory. And we're not going to have journalists on the ground reporting. We're not going to have 24 7 news cycles reporting on this. There won't be the, the human interest stories anymore, but the crisis will go on. This crisis is going to at least last three to six months. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged the truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Well, Newsweek just tops the cake for us this week, doing a really beautiful um, piece on the Taliban. And they interviewed one of the senior leaders and spokesperson, Abdul Balhi, and he says this in the interview. I'll have to read it to you. It's not an audio. He says, we believe the world has a unique opportunity of approachment and coming together to tackle the challenges, not only facing us, but all of humanity. And these challenges ranging from world security, climate change, and the need for collective efforts of all. And they cannot be achieved if we exclude or ignore an entire people who have been devastated by imposed wars for the last four decades. My goodness, I've said it multiple times on the show. The Taliban have definitely learned something over the last 20 years, and that is how to, how to virtue signal, how to have the right talking points. I mean, here it is. These cha the challenges that we're going to tackle, it's world security and climate change. That's the agenda. That's the real agenda of, of the Taliban administration is fixing climate change. Because, you know, uh, President, former President Donald Trump, he really downplayed climate change. And that was probably the real problem. But, man, I am so glad that the Taliban have their talking points in order climate change. And you know what? I'm not going to be surprised if, if pretty soon we're going to see the Taliban with a seat at the table at the UN, probably around things like climate change, women's rights, and religious freedom, because that would make sense that, that they would just be brought into that mix because they are, they have reformed and they have changed and they have definitely figured out how to virtue signal. Don't worry about what they're actually doing on the streets. Don't worry about what they're doing on the streets of Harat. Don't worry about them going door to door and searching for, for people who worked with the government or religious minorities. Don't worry about any of that. It doesn't matter. As long as they say climate change, they're in the club. 
You wonder why the, the West, so many people in the West, which have been so loud about other, other things, are, are so silent right now. Now, I can appreciate the fact that different people are passionate about different things. Clearly, I'm passionate about this. And I'm not passionate about some of these other things that people are passionate about that often spike in the news cycle. So I don't expect, I don't expect everyone to be posting and loud and passionate about the same things. But it's awful convenient. It's also oft, awful convenient of the silence and the, the ignoring of this crisis by many people right now. And I, as I said before, it's not going to be long until the Taliban have been woven into the narrative of this being a great development. Why? Because it covers, it covers the leftist narrative and defends President Joe Biden from this mess. It covers for him. Well, the same spokesperson, Abdul Balik, went on Al Jazeera with this brilliant, brilliant clip. Sharia law is known to everyone, and there's no ambiguities about the rights of women, the rights of men, not only women, but also the rights of men and children. Okay, the, you gotta listen to this carefully. At the beginning of this clip, he says, Sharia law is known to everyone, and there's no ambiguity of the rights of women, men, and children. And then he says, this. Listen. Listen carefully. And right now we're at a, situa a situation that, uh, that hopefully during the consultations there will be clarifications about what those rights are. <laughs> so he starts off saying everyone knows what the rights are. It's clear. And then he says, and hopefully uh, in these talks we'll be able to figure out what those rights are. I don't know if you've noticed, may, if, and you might not have, but there are many different interpretations of that. Look at the UAE. Look at Oman. Look at Saudi Arabia. Look at Bahrain. Look at Kuwait. All have a, a form of Sharia law. And they apply it somewhat differently. But they're not going around and cutting people's hands off. They're not. They're not barring girls from going to school after sixth grade. In fact, in Saudi Arabia, most of the engineers and most of the, the, the college students in STEM fields, they're women, a large, a, a large majority. I think worldwide, I, I forgot the exact number, worldwide it's like 18% in STEM fields are women. And in Saudi Arabia, it's double that. It's 36 or 40. It's extraordinary to see that they're in the STEM fields. But right now, there's already reports, as we've, as we've said, in other parts of Afghanistan, other parts of Afghanistan, where the schools have now been closed to girls past the sixth grade. They're just not allowed to go. So what, what are those rights? Yeah, we'll figure them out. They're clear. Everyone knows them, but uh, we're, we're going to actually figure them out. It is just, un it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable situation. Well, I want to thank all the listeners who give to this show, who make this show happen, who produce this show. If it was not for you, we would definitely not be on 
the air. So thank you so much. This is a value for value podcast. If you get value out of this podcast, consider giving value back to the podcast in whatever measure you feel is appropriate. Thus value for value. Now, thousands of people tune into the show every month and to help understand the strategies and the narratives that are being propped up against us so that we can see the world more clearly because if we can see the world clearly, then we can know how to walk in the world clearly without bumping into sharp objects in the fog of life. So you can give to this show by visiting lucasscrobot.com and you can give your hard cold fiat there or you can get a certified 2.0 podcasting 2.0 app by visiting newpodcastapps.com and you can find one that enables you to stream little sats, little bitcoins as you listen to the show. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. Today's Weaver and Loom segment, we don't have a quote for you today. We have a little proverb, a parable for you from Ansip's Tales. It's just an old proverb story that has floated around for hundreds of years, and it's the story of the frog and the scorpion. You might be familiar with it. There's a frog and a scorpion standing by the edge of a lake. And the scorpion says to the frog, Frog, let me get on your back and ride me across the river. And the frog says, No way. If I let you get on my back, you're going to kill me. You're going to strike me and kill me. And the scorpion says, I wouldn't do that. Why, if, if we're in the middle of a river and I struck you, you would die and I would die with you. So you can trust me. You just, just take me across the river, be a pal. Well, after a while of convincing, the frog finally lets the scorpion on its back. And what do you know? In the middle of the river, the scorpion strikes the frog. And as the frog is, is dying, it says, why did you strike me? Now you're going to die too. You said you wouldn't. And the scorpion said, it's in my nature. I can't help but do what's in my nature. And as I've thought about, as I've thought about not only uh, America's gaffes in all this, just the, 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 the thing that America, the, tr the tragedy, the, the lives that will be lost because of what America has done, I think, man. It, it's, we can't help but do what is in our nature. And if there's something broken in our nature, if there's something broken in the foundations of our lives, it can't help but come out. When we embrace woke ideologies, when we, we embrace these ideas about the world that just aren't true, those ideas will seep out and have a play and affect the world. Likewise, in trusting groups like the Taliban. They are going to do what is in their nature. They may say one thing today, but it is in their nature 
And there are multiple clips. We've played the clips on the show where they say, has, has the Taliban changed from 20 years ago? And they laugh. <laughs> it's, we're the same Taliban from 20 years ago from today. Some people are new. Some people are old. Some people are kinder. Some people are more harsh. But we have the same goals, the same agenda. And so we can apply that to our lives, recognizing that people will do what is in their nature and that the original, not the original, the fallen nature of man is that we are fallen. That man is, our hearts are wickedly deceitful and often lead us astray, which is why we seek out truth. We seek out to know what is real in the world so that we can navigate through the world and not crash into a side of a mountain or not let a scorpion on our back and sting us. Well, if you want to get more out of this episode, talk about it and share it with a friend because as you talk about it, even if it's someone who disagrees with you, you will get smarter because you will then have to fight and defend your ideas and maybe they will prove you wrong and you will learn something from it. That is all for this episode. Go out this week and seek truth, pursue truth, discern truth, because it's through that, as I said, that we begin to see the world rightly so that we can walk in the world rightly, which enables us to own our futures. <laughs>